0: Hello and welcome to episode number one of the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am your host, Sota Kandrei, and today I have the pleasure of bringing you a conversation with Danny Lennon. Danny is the founder of Sigma Nutrition, an online coaching service and education platform, and the host of the Sigma Nutrition Radio Podcast, one of the best audio resources for anything related to evidence based fitness and nutrition. Danny has a master's degree in nutritional sciences and works as a performance nutritionist to professional MMA fighters, professional boxers, and competitive powerlifters. Our conversation centered around effective science communication. Some of the topics we go into are Dennis' interest in science, what made him start the podcast, translating science into practice, becoming better science communicators, respectfully engaging someone we disagree with, and much, much more. I really hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, Here's episode number one of the Muscle Engineer Podcast with Danny Lennon. Danny Lennon, welcome to the Muscle Engineer Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, my man. Glad to be here.
0: So the reason I wanted to have Danny on is because he's a pretty damn good communicator. Uh, he's probably m- most well known for his podcast, Sigma Nutrition Radio. So I uh, thought it would be appropriate to talk to him about uh, effective science communication where where can we start and what are some strategies we can use to communicate science better or more convincingly before we get into any of that maybe if you could tell us a bit about your background because i know you were a high school teacher and what got you into science in the first place
1: yeah i think that that's an interesting question about what got me into it because i obviously enjoyed doing it in school uh presumably why i end up going to to College and, and studying biology and physics, but when I kind of think back of it now, I just think what science represents probably just fits in really well with my personality. I'm just the type of person who finds it di- very difficult to take something just on someone's word, no matter how much they're, they have a, a good reputation and they have maybe a lot of experience in a certain area or are very smart themselves. I just need to have some. Reasoning and logic and evidence behind things across all kind of spheres of life So when I think of it in those terms, it kind of makes sense intuitively why I I found science so appealing because for all the flaws and drawbacks we could point to in science It's still basically our best tool for being able to look at things with logic and objectivity rather than having to take just someone's word on it or looking at things in an emotional way and uh, not to say I'm completely without emotion, but I think uh, I just in, enjoy viewing things through this kind of very logical, consistent manner and having a system to do that. And so I think that's probably why uh, on a very fundamental level, science is so appealing to me. And so, yeah, really enjoyed studying in school, ended up going to college and studying uh, biology and physics. And like you say, after graduating, I also was doing, a, there was a teaching element to that a course as well. So I graduated as a, a high school science teacher, went and taught that in a school for a year. So it was, I was teaching physics, uh, mathematics, and biology. And I, I really loved the teaching and education part, but there was just something about what being within the school system that probably just didn't fit within me. And that might be for, for another question or mm-hmm. conversation. But I obviously had this intense affinity for nutrition that I'd started to build up while I was in college purely for my own reasons of at that time I wanted to inform how I could do better in the sports that I was playing and and therefore in the gym to help that and so I started looking at all different areas and it was during that kind of four years in college where I was starting to learn more and more how to look at research papers and journals and and find peer-reviewed quality evidence and so as a hobby started doing that and applying it to things that would affect my own performance and so stumbled across nutrition and sports nutrition and, and just found it really appealing and that's what led to me eventually leaving teaching as a profession, going back and doing my master's degree in nutritional sciences. And uh, as they say, I suppose the the rest is history. So, yeah, I think on a fundamental level, that's why science appeals to me and, and how I came about to actually teaching it for a while.
0: So what made you start the podcast? The podcast
1: really was for two very basic reasons. One was at that time I knew the value of putting out content, um, just to generally to, to build up the business at that point. So at that time, it wasn't limited to purely the podcast. Uh, in my mind, it was like, I'll be writing all these articles every single week. I'll be doing all this YouTube channel stuff. I'll be, be everywhere. And I, I started the podcast purely because I was a huge podcast fan myself. And back in early 2014, uh, when the podcast started, it certainly wasn't as big as it is now. And it's podcasting has just exploded over the last three, three and a half years. And so I got in at you could probably say a good time, maybe a lucky time, but I, I did it because I just loved listening to podcasts at that time point, and said this is something I can do as another way of putting out some content. But pretty soon after that, realized that that was the one medium that really appealed to me to actually be a part of, and also apart from just pe- uh, appealing that I enjoyed doing them, really fit in with my skill set as well, as opposed to being this real prolific writer or being someone who is really good with. YouTube stuff. And there are obviously just as viable and in many cases more viable uh, forms to go with, but just wasn't perfectly suited to me and there was better people to do those things. So the podcast, yeah, that's the reason why it started. I needed to put some content out. I really loved podcasts. And so I was like, let me try and do my own. Let me try and have some conversations with people that I think I can hopefully ask some interesting questions and, and maybe coming at it from a... Uh, essentially, if I'm listening to these people, what were the questions I would have liked to have asked at that time point that people didn't? I think where maybe people fall into difficulty is if they start trying to produce something purely because they've seen someone else do something and be successful, so it's like, I need to replicate that, rather than thinking what stuff do I actually enjoy and what stuff would I do and be happy doing even if it doesn't have this major successful payoff in the end. And if you've confined those things, then that's the best way to go. So it was me looking at all these different things and then honing in on the stuff that I actually enjoy doing and could be good with as opposed to forcing myself to do something that I'm not suited to.
0: And uh, I think everyone can can say that we're happy you stuck with podcasting (laughs) instead of spreading your attention into five different avenues producing shit content overall.
1: That's the whole kind of thing that I tried to stick to of having something where I can put out high quality content as opposed to some, doing something to put out as much content as possible. I think that's a, another trap some people fall into. Of mm. Content is so easy to produce now and there's this kind of underlying theme a lot of people hear about. It's all about content. You just pump out as much content as you can. It's like, no, put out as much good quality content as you can and that might mean that you pull back on how frequent that goes out uh, or across how many different uh, media you're you're in. But if it's good quality, that's what's eventually gonna be uh, I, I think personally uh, the best way to go
0: so speaking about um, being a good podcast host were there any mistakes if you can call them you made in the beginning maybe in the interviewing process and how have you realized maybe this is not the way to go and what changes have you implemented in order to become a better uh, Podcast wasn't about the listener, I guess. Mm, yeah, I'm
1: sure there's probably loads that I could list as, as mistakes or, or stuff that I wouldn't be perfectly happy with now that if I were to listen back on some of the early ones. But perhaps the big thing that sticks out to me that I think I'm doing differently now that has definitely been a big benefit is being a bit more flexible during the, the recording. And what I mean by that is, as I think maybe a lot of people who listen to the podcast will hopefully pick up on is that uh, I put a considerable amount of time into preparing and and researching before podcast episodes. I I don't like going into them without having at least some clear formed ideas on a certain topic, having read through some of the primary research in that area, looking at reviews, looking at the work published by whoever I'm talking to. So trying to be extremely well prepared and having at least a a set number of topics I hope you want to touch on during that show. And that's always been the case, but I think what I do differently now that has certainly helped is during the conversations is trying to be keenly aware of what that person's actually saying, really listening to that and being flexible to, maybe hear something and be willing to go and explore that idea by asking a follow-up question that maybe I hadn't even thought of before. Maybe going and talking about a a kind of topic or subtopic that I hadn't thought about previous to starting to record and to kind of go with more of the flow of where that conversation is leading in kind of in trying to chase some of the more exciting things that the, the person is talking about as opposed to being too rigid or overly rigid with the structure of things. So I think, Preparation's important. I think having a, a uh, at least a rough structure in mind is important. But I think now I'm much better at going with the, the flow of the conversation and being able to go into areas that are, are just present themselves because they're interesting points that someone has made and being able to follow up on them. Because so often you hear someone say something extremely interesting and then the host doesn't follow up on it. And I think that can be, maybe mistake might be a strong word, but it can certainly be a lost opportunity to to go and find some useful information for sure. So I think that's the biggest thing, at least in my mind, that has changed over time. I'm sure there's others, but that one springs to mind.
0: In my opinion, this is very similar to nutrition. I mean, I think flexibility has to be earned. Would you agree?
1: For sure, yeah. And I think it's probably just the experience of doing it allowed me to be more comfortable with going with that method. Uh, I certainly think starting out initially, there's obviously uh, a bit of the unknown. You don't know how stuff is going to go. You don't want to go out just completely blindly and just say, okay, I'm going to do it on the fly. You, you need to be prepared. And I, I don't think that if I were to go back and start over again, I would actually have done anything differently. I think I would have needed to go to that process of being overly prepared and maybe a bit rigid. And then that, that allows you to transition into this thing. And, and to your point, I, th- I can certainly see a parallel in nutrition of that. Now I could look at my general approach towards food and dieting as, as quite kind of flexible, not overly rigid in, in in structure or food choice. But I can definitely see that past experiences and past periods where I was more rigid and more structured because I didn't know any better as still being quite informative for stuff that I can do now with my uh, diet and I've actually had some benefits. Sure, there's there's drawbacks and it's the reason why I think a more flexible approach is important. But I think, like you said, to some degree, you probably have to go through certain things and experience certain things before you get to that point. You can't just immediately start and know all this stuff and go in and, and be super flexible in your approach to anything and be confident in it if it's a complete unknown to you. So uh, I, I agree there's parallels, and I agree it's a, a process where just experience over time will probably get you closer to being more comfortable at least doing that.
0: While we're on the topic of science communication, where do you think the balance lies between translating science, so to speak, into effective uh, everyday person language and not losing substance or not losing the proper context of mm. the ideas we put out?
1: Yeah. This is a, I think, really difficult thing to do. And so I don't know if I have like one clear answer of how we should all go about it. But I will say is that it makes it easier if you are talking about uh, an opportunity where you have a longer time frame, obviously to impart some sort of education. Uh, I don't think it's useful to bombard people with every piece of information you have because you need to give every single caveat to what you're saying that's just not going to be taken on board. And so the, the the real problem comes is probably just the way the on online and even just generally how the world is set up right now for most people in the general population it's very easy to consume like these sound bites of information and people are just accustomed to doing that. And so if that's all they want to do then it's it's going to be hard to break through that because you will have to essentially talk to them through these small little sound bites, whether that's a small little tweet or one infographic or so on. Mm -hmm. And we can start that process because we know people are going to, to use that, and that's going to be our first interface. So if we can start putting some of these scientific principles into some one or two sound bites that they can take away and are actually going to be useful, I think that's a great starting point. But we're never going to be able to give the same full context doing that strategy, but it doesn't mean it's it's not worthwhile so i, I definitely think there's a balance of uh, so the way i would t- talk to most practitioners about this is i think it's important to understand most of the science and the evidence behind a certain area and the more information and knowledge we can gather the better but when it comes to actually communicating that th- bearing in mind number one your target audience and number two bearing in mind what is it you actually want them to take from what you're about to say so sure, if you're going to talking to other fitness professionals and you're talking about general recommendations on a topic and you're doing a, a, an hour long presentation, you can be very clear on the caveats and context and give a lot more details. If you're talking to someone who has no uh, background information or no current understanding around nutrition, you need to be very clear of, okay, you're going to be chatting to this person for the next five, 10 minutes. What is it that you actually want them to go away knowing? So what are they realistically going to be able to take in in that time? What is the main kind of key point to get through? And then you can start thinking about how to effectively communicate that. So that's that's one area of it. One other area I, I talk to people about is the difference between making general statements that are meant as uh, guidelines that go for a wide population of people or general statements around nutrition or fitness or, or, or any kind of uh, scientific endeavor versus what you might advise to an individual, just them on what to do. So for example, uh, one thing we could say is people who talk about low carbohydrate diets and using that as a fat loss strategy. Sure, if you're talking in general about the value of low carbohydrate diets, you will probably be talking to people, well, if you match calories and protein, there's actually no real benefit to doing a lower carbohydrate versus a higher carbohydrate diet. And so, and you have to give all this background information of how they're not really, any superior that you there's all this context that you have to look at energy balance protein overall diet all all the other stuff we could talk about if you're talking to one specific person maybe you're in a coaching scenario with one person and you know okay the one thing we need to take from this is we need to do some intervention that's going to allow them to decrease their caloric intake because they want to lose body fat so if based on what you know about this person and what you've seen in their current diet and you see about their food preferences and you think for them going on a lower carbohydrate diet might actually be the best way for them to adhere to a calorie restricted diet, then sure, you can recommend to this person, hey, what we're gonna do is see this kind of group of foods. I want you to kind of limit the amount you're gonna take of them. And instead, most of your meals are gonna be made up of this group of foods over here. And now suddenly they have something super easy they can take away. It's not you telling them, this is the best thing ever, or you telling everyone in general, low carbohydrate diets are the one way for everyone to go. It's meant in the context of, for this individual, what are they gonna do at this time? So I think it depends on who you're talking to, of course. And I, I think to some degree, if you are trying to give a sound bite of information, you are going to lose some context. You're gonna lose some of that caveat. So it's kind of a delicate balancing act. And I think the only way you get that across is through a prolonged stretch of gradual education on the topic. So you can do that with clients for sure, uh, which which is maybe a different discussion. And then for people just generally consuming information online, the onus tends to be then on the consumer of the information. If you want to base your whole health and dietary choices on one or two tweets that you saw on a certain topic and you're going to change your whole diet around that, probably not a good idea. If you're serious about changing your nutrition and your health, you might want to look into a bit, bit more detail and try and go through that kind of educational process of learning a bit about some of the caveats to this stuff. So with all that said, that was kind of maybe not one clear answer and kind of gone into a bit of a tangent, but uh, that's generally what comes to mind when I when I think about how to balance those two things out.
0: Oh, that was that was perfect. Uh, I think one of the best examples we can give when it comes to general advice for example is the dietary guidelines.
1: So it's a more interesting narrative to say hey this is none of this is your fault you were just lied to and the the government has conned you and made you sick and fat through these guidelines so that it can feed into the pharmaceutical industry and like that's a nice narrative for people to hear maybe but if we were to look at like when you're trying to give public health advice, it's a tough ask because you have all these different types of people with different levels of understanding, all these different individual contexts you might give recommendations. And you're trying to give, again, basically these sound bites of information, what these kind of 10 rules we might come up with. And so when you look at those guidelines, sure, some of the science actually behind some of it is a bit shoddy. They're maybe not the best kind of guidelines for optimal nutrition in the world, but if you look at them, if people were actually doing them, they're not going to be becoming obese, right? It, it, that's not the, that's not the template for the diet that someone uh, becomes obese and it causes the levels of obesity we have now. That's not what most of those people are doing, and so it's just a nicer narrative for people to hear. And uh, unfortunately, that's why kind of those things uh, get promoted. But in general, you're when you have public health recommendations, there's going to be some things that are imperfect because of that and like you can't give the best advice for everyone because everyone is so different
0: so you think there's a rise in the mistrust in science with all the uh, anti-gmo and anti-vaccine and all the big farmers trying to kill you movement we see Mm. do you think that's a good representation of what's happening or is it just our tiny nutrition corner
1: uh, if anything, I, I think maybe there there's uh, people that are in, in both sides of that. So there's certainly, I think, on average, more people that are now aware of good quality scientific information purely because of how much of it is being able to spread around now. And I think there's an appetite for that. But at the same time, because of that ability to spread information around, there's a lot of people that are becoming more steadfast in kind of what we could class as like anti-scientific ideas, right? Things that are not based on good quality evidence that are either pure... Out- quackery or pseudoscience or at the very least kind of have no real base in evidence and so i think what's happened is there's probably both of those groups were kind of always around but i think there's at least to me it seems that there's more clear fighting between them or more distrust between each side because either extreme of that is maybe communicating in a way that is kind of for lack of a better term being able to not 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 be helpful in converting the other side over so to speak and is actually alienating a lot of uh, other people in that end and it's you see it across a lot of sectors and i don't know how to to change that either so so when you talk about now there's a lot of distrust in science and there's actually a lot of people who go against ideas that we have clear science for because they've either watched some sort of documentary or have read some blog about conspiracies or whatever it is so to answer your question i think there's definitely uh, a growth in maybe both of those areas, you could say, or at least there's a it's more easy to see right now of people who are distrusting the government, distrusting the medical system, uh, thinking about vaccines are causing autism and all these other things we can see within uh, medicine and health. How to fix that is, uh, I, I don't know. I think in general, you all we can really do is look at, okay, how can we best put out evidence-based objective information? how we can communicate that in a way that people can understand that they can, number one, see what our argument is, number two, see the evidence behind it. And I I think that one of the most important things, communicate it in a way that's not actually belittling to them where they currently stand. Because some people may have been just of a certain opinion because they haven't been exposed to a better quality of evidence. So if that's the case, let's show them that evidence and let's show them the argument. And if they still want to, like not trust it then then i mean what more can we really do in that case
0: might be the case that these are just louder voices so maybe the 95 people who actually agree with us so to speak they just don't care or they just don't bother commenting and then we only see those last five people who are anti-science or anti uh whatever the topic is
1: yeah i i think you see that in a lot of sectors and people talk about that the the vocal minority versus the kind of fairly silent majority in a lot of cases. So again, if there is a very strong dogmatic few people on a certain topic, they tend to be the, just the ones that shout the loudest about it. And there's quite a big fuss about it, but most people just don't bother chiming in on the issue. So uh, I agree that it's still a relatively small amount of people that maybe be of that come those complete anti-science uh, ideas, or certainly on the kind of more conspiracy end of, the government and big farmers is, is doing everything purposely uh, and we have no control on any of this stuff for sure
0: so why we were on the topic of science communicators um you think it can take some of the things they do to communicate of, obviously we're not trying to popularize astrophysics mm-hmm. or whatever sure maybe in our little tiny fitness or nutrition corner
1: yeah sure so it can be difficult to convince a lot of people who don't want to be convinced if you look at Sam Harris, for example, has a great quote of saying, how do you actually uh, argue with logic to someone who lives doesn't in value uh, logic? logic? Uh, and the same thing with someone with evidence, right? If they don't value evidence, cover, you
0: provide. That's my cover on Facebook.
1: Uh, so it's so good, man. It's one of my favorite quotes because that sums up. like You if we know within like scientific discourse, the best way you get to solutions, particularly if people have differing ideas on things, is to say, okay, here's my argument. It's based on these pieces of evidence Here, that's why I have this opinion. Now you have someone else saying, well, here's my argument for or against that based on these pieces of evidence. And now we can kind of discuss these back and forth, see which piece of evidence are stronger. And now we can maybe come to either a better idea or have some sort of collaboration between ideas, or at least be able to see which idea or argument is more viable based on that. So that's why I like science, because we can have this kind of very clear thing. If someone doesn't want to talk about evidence, doesn't see the value in it or everything is a conspiracy so you can't trust it then what 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 do you have discussions about like how do you have a valid discussion where you can discuss these different different ideas and so uh, i think that's the first starting point so in terms of how you have an impact to be able to communicate ideas in the way like like neil degrasse tyson obviously the way they communicate in terms of you can see their clear passion for these ideas but also the things they choose to say are the things that are going to make people excited. So, if you take Neil deGrasse Tyson as one example, he you can see how his communication style is when he's talking in a public forum or in a podcast or in these small, short snippets of videos is very different to how he would actually go and talk to his colleagues in uh, the physics department or if he was presenting at an academic conference because he understands what points he has to try and get across this general audience, what things will maybe get them excited and how to communicate that in a way that's going to be relatively understandable. So I think that's a kind of good starting point. Beyond that, I think that the biggest thing I've tried to do with with a lot of people is to try and just first and foremost get them to value evidence in the first place because that kind of mitigates that problem we just showed of... You you can go nowhere if you have someone who doesn't value evidence or doesn't Mm -hmm. think it's worthwhile looking at that. So the first thing you have to do is show people why it's valuable. And this is why I think it's useful to talk to people about evidence-based practice, what it is, why it's a valuable idea, and why it is that you should probably, if you are a practitioner in these fields of fitness or nutrition, want to move towards that type of model. Because the first and foremost thing is, is it values evidence and you make decisions based on clear, rational evidence. And if if someone's of that mindset, now you can start talking about, okay, what does the evidence actually say? And now we can move the conversation forward and have some more knowledge. So that's the the first thing I would say of, of getting people just to see the value in it, why it's useful to look at evidence and science. And in terms of communicating that stuff, it goes back to what all those guys do well of. Of communicate in a way that's engaging and exciting and is able to be relatively understandable even if maybe you if you took some astrophysicist and got them to break down every single thing he said on every podcast there's probably a few things that are maybe not a hundred percent accurate but they can't be for those reasons we talked about earlier that there has to be some level of compromise but if you're generally still getting that point across you can still count it as a, a valuable piece of information
0: what I have found is many people say they value evidence until the evidence says otherwise, you know? Yeah,
1: it happens all the time. You can see you can see pretty easily if someone either wants to have a discussion over a topic in, in a valuable manner and go back and forth over these ideas and exchange where their viewpoints are coming from or if they just want to make a point and want it to be done with because they do things like that or they will just pluck one study out of nowhere not realizing that that's not evidence-based practice showing me one study on a topic and that's it. It's like, what is the consensus of all the information we have? What's the difference between the good quality events and the bad quality? And where in general are we leaning when we look at the totality of all this stuff? So I think there's, there's very much uh, a way for people to maybe try and give the impression that they're using science or that they're science-based, but it's not real. It's this kind of fake type of uh pseudoscience and that's that's why you see the most dangerous people i would say in the industry are people who to, to the general population are these really knowledgeable people who are pointing to science and showing me these studies and talking about these kind of scientific sounding terms but those people are not using good scientific practice they are not being consistent in a, an evidence-based manner of looking at the totality of the research they're not giving context and caveats to what they're saying they're basically cherry-picking certain things Distorting what it actually means, and then giving it information based on that.
0: So, where do you think this balance lies between trying to convince someone, then finally realizing that maybe they are just they just can't be convinced, yeah, no matter it, what we do.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's a it really is a tough line to toe because I think there's always ways we can make arguments better and be more uh, consistent and valid in our approach, get better at communicating ideas to people, so that it's hopefully more likely. But to a certain degree, like we've we've already said, there's going to be some people that just won't want to be convinced no matter what. And you can probably just try and pick up during that conversation on how they're responding to whether it's likely they're going to uh, want to go through. So if, if they're making valid points back and it's something worth discussing, then great. But if they're just dismissing all pieces of evidence that you're showing them for no reason, then, oh, this has to be sponsored or it's just a, a conspiracy. And they're making an alternative claim that they aren't able to provide any good evidence for then you know they really just have that agenda they're not really going to want to Uh, take it any further so i think it's to some degree there's going to be people that you can't convince however if you are going to try and either criticize a certain point of view that someone's having or at least have a productive discussion there's probably a few things that you can do that i have personally found useful and what i tend to use is actually um, like an adaptation from a a great book that i recommend to people called intuition pumps and other tools for Mm -hmm. thinking uh, by a guy uh, dan dennett Uh, And in there, he has essentially a a four-step process where he talks about if you are going to be criticizing someone's uh, point of view, there's probably a few things you should do before you start attacking their viewpoint or or at least attacking them for making such a a viewpoint. Uh, So he has the first one is essentially rewording their point of view in really clear terms so that they agree with what you've just said of of what their viewpoint actually is. And I think this is one of the most important ones because so often, particularly in in nutrition and fitness, we see two people arguing over something. One person has defined it as one thing. The other person has defined it as something else. And they're making points against two different things that the other person isn't actually arguing for. This happens all the time. So I think getting clear what your viewpoint is, what my viewpoint is, is this completely accurate? If that person agrees, then great, we can, we can move on from there. Then it's trying to list all the points that you would actually agree with them on. So I think this is probably, there's probably no matter who you're debating, there's probably at least some things you could probably say that you agree with them on. And you can list out those points. And at least that's one thing, number one, to get them on side, number two, to show that there's at least some sort of consistency in, in what the two of you are saying and it's gonna make it more likely they're gonna be responsive later on if you said what you agree with. Then you, uh, the third one he talks about is mentioning anything that you may have learned for, from someone. And I think depending on someone's, uh, where they're coming from or their level of knowledge, we can certainly learn something from people that may be of a, a different opinion overall, but they may have had some valid points in there that were new to us, and so mentioning those. And then if you've done all those things, and then you're in a position where you have a criticism for either evidence they've provided or position they hold, then you can start talking about a rebuttal to what they've said or criticizing their certain point. And then from there, hopefully, it's gonna be a nice kind of scientific discourse of you've presented your side uh, based on a clear understanding of their actual argument. Then they can either take the evidence on board or they can come back with an alternative uh, viewpoint based, again hopefully backed up by evidence, if they're not willing to do so and they're still gonna either dismiss that or continue to push on despite you providing better quality evidence, then you know it's probably not gonna be a fruitful conversation. And and so I think that kind of, having that sort of step-by-step process I've found personally useful. And I think that's what I've uh, hopefully try and do when I, I, I see someone that maybe have a misconception about an idea or has something that I don't agree with. Uh, I like to start with the presumption that they're doing it just because they haven't seen better quality evidence. And if that's the case, I'm perfectly fine with them making a statement that might be incorrect because they just don't know any better right now. But if it's someone where you have consistently provided better quality evidence and they're just refusing to accept that because they have an agenda, then that's a very different thing. And I think in those circumstances, you're very much within your rights to call that person out for... Purposely providing bad evidence or purposely not taking a scientific mindset But doing so before you actually know whether that person is doing it purposely or not it might be a, a mistake So I would try and give people the benefit of the doubt And if they refuse to listen to evidence Then yeah, they're in a position for being called out for basically being uh, unscientific
0: Amazing, yeah, I, uh, I definitely For example, Mike is is really someone who I, I become kind of close friends with And he has uh, Pointed out to me numerous times over the past couple of years that I made some of the mistakes you've said there. So maybe I uh, was too fast in my judgment, so to speak. Yeah, or I, I, I think
1: it's easy uh, to happen, right? I think it happens to all of us because, especially when you spend so much time looking at all this stuff and we learn these things and they're really cool ideas and we're very clear on it and we're very passionate about spreading evidence based information and you're working hard on doing that, and then you have someone maybe, especially if someone has a a large following and they put out something that you know is clearly wrong and might be misinterpreted by people or even is going to go and have negative knock-on effects that people are hearing that, that can be the number one that first gets to you is it's gonna be quite maddening to see, right? You're gonna get angry about it because I don't like seeing People who are maybe susceptible to to hearing that information, especially if it's either dangerous or it's going to be negative to them in some way, hearing something that's just not true. So the first thing we do is take a step back and say, okay, let's not get too worked up emotionally about it, and let's instead think, okay, why did this person make this comment? Was it purely because they don't know any better, or maybe they believe that what they were saying is the best? scientific statement to their current knowledge so if that's the case maybe we can have a conversation with them and they might be actually willing to change that and it's a net benefit for everyone versus is it someone uh, for example like a Dave Asprey that people know who I think it's very clear is saying things despite probably being told numerous times by people there is a whole host of evidence that doesn't support what you're saying and actually shows the opposite in a lot of cases. I think that's purposely being misleading to try and generate profit, which is a very different thing. And people in that position can r- quite rightly be, I think, criticized, and it's not being a hater or anything like that. It's, it's quite rightly just being critical of someone who is doing something that's, I, I think, probably immoral. But if we can have a beneficial conversation with someone, then great. And I know, for example, I've talked to Eric Helms about this before, and he, he is a, a kind of king of this, of. You'll see often if someone might, uh, the example he gave me was, you'll see someone, some post something in a thread where they have a misconception around the role of carbohydrates and fat gain. And so he'll ask them, well, why do you think that? And then they'll mention something about insulin. And then he'll say, well, why do you think insulin is doing this, that the other, and kind of getting first thing, getting clear on where they're coming from, why they said those certain things. And then maybe saying, well, based on what you said there, here's some things that the evidence shows and it might be counter to what you've you haven't seen before now suddenly if that person is open-minded they say oh i wasn't aware of this stuff before now i've learned something and now they might be willing to change so uh, i agree with uh, what you said what, what mike said but i think it's a trap we've probably all f- fell to in the past and uh, it can be hard not to fall into it again particularly when you see bad information but um I think the first step trying to think of where that person is coming from, from sure, and and seeing, can we have a fruitful conversation first?
0: I think it comes back again to lack of fundamental science education. Because, for example, I had at college level, uh, I had my food additives class and the lab professor said, well, uh, whatever sweetener we were talking about is uh, worse than sugar. And I asked her, in what quantities? And she looked at me like, what? In what quantity is it worse (laughs) than sugar? She said, well, what do you mean? At a food additive class, which basically is all about quantities and <laughs> yeah. safety level. And, you know, because you did a whole episode about artificial sweeteners, So right. so it's mind-boggling to me. I mean, for example, another professor told me that I was the first person he has ever heard to said to him, well, hold on a second. Let me give you a bit of context before this. I, Whatever we were talking about. <laughs> he was shocked. So <laughs> I think it all comes back to elementary school and high school education but of course no one pays attention because I didn't pay attention to biology class or physics class or whatever so
1: I've said it before I think I've said it in most of my my seminars I've done um, I talk quite a lot about scientific literacy and how in most cases being scientifically literate is more important than the actual science knowledge you know so someone might not know the kind of background science or the research on particular sweeteners, or doses that they're taken in, or um, uh, whatever you were talking with the other professor about, they might not have heard that stuff. But if they're scientifically literate, they will understand the process of let's put some caveats and context around the stuff. Let's ask a, a good question. Let's look at the evidence behind certain things. And they'll understand the generally the process of science, and they won't make these kind of uh, I suppose, absolutist claims that we see people make because they understand the nuance of science and they understand the scientific method. So I think that from a starting point is far more valuable than uh, a couple of pieces of knowledge because then you can apply it to everything else. So for even people who maybe don't have that uh, background of science fundamentals, where I advise them starting is not doing things like people telling them to go and by an endocrinology book, it's going and looking at what science actually is as a process, really understanding what the scientific method is, and then trying to think about what a scientific mindset is. And that's about to do with critical thinking and being open and trying to look for evidence and being able to make decisions based on, in general, what does the consensus of our evidence say? and understanding that all science is not something black and white, it's just a tool that we have right now to get us as close as possible to the likely truth. Because some of it might not be perfect and we don't have the answers to everything, and science itself isn't a perfect system, but it's the best tool that we humans have come up with so far for saying, here are some ideas, we're trying to wonder how does this stuff work, and by this system we can probably get closest to right now based on the evidence we have, the likely answer is this. And the more evidence we accumulate and the more we go through that scientific method, we can uh, approximate closer and closer and closer to the truth without maybe never getting 100% there, but closer and closer each time. And so if, if people were able to understand that idea, just that general idea about what science is, they'd be so much further off than trying to memorize specific facts about specific hormones when they maybe don't have the underlying understanding of what science is.
0: And another thing I think people often get uh, confused or miss is uh, differentiating someone attacking, so to speak, or criticizing their ideas versus their own person. Everyone has an opinion, sure, but you don't have to respect it if it's bullshit, you know? Right. If someone says, I don't know, the earth is flat, for example, you don't have to respect that because we have solid proof. Against that.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, it's funny that you talk about that. It's the same similar things you see in, in uh, some of the issues Jordan Peterson talks about of like people who get offended and, and start demanding people respect them. It's like you don't necessarily don't have, have to, to, to re- respect Yeah. Them. You don't have to respect them. Like you have to earn someone's respect. Like you respect people who are morally good people and are going to be nice to you. Like you don't have to respect everyone. So if you don't know who someone is, you don't. And it's the same thing you. you you can hear someone's opinion and, sure, they have a right to an opinion, but it doesn't make that opinion valid. And I think that's what gets lost in, uh, I think, this modern world where people, want, uh, quite rightly, want generally equality with people, but it's understanding that there's a difference between uh, equality of their rights, in terms of their right to an opinion, and their equality to say what their opinion is, is very different to everyone's opinion is equally valid. So equality of outcome and equality of rights are two very different things. And I think that's an important distinguishing factor that, sure, people can have these opinions, but you don't actually have to... Uh, listen to them if they're not going to be able to back them up with anything substantial.
0: I think, again, this starts back in childhood, because I remember the teachers saying to us, well, if you don't have anything nice to say, you shouldn't say anything. Right. That's bullshit. Well, yeah, maybe if you said something stupid, I don't have anything nice to say, because it was stupid. So maybe by correcting it, we could both get better. It's the idea I'm having the trouble with, not you. <laughs> right, for sure.
1: And th- that's the whole thing. People are getting offended at everything now. They think everything's a personal attack uh just ask my friend mark mcdonald he gets this all the time from people that like he's this ultimate hater that just hates everyone is is trying to tear them down it's like no he's saying what this person just said is incorrect here's the reasons it's incorrect and this person is spreading bad information that's what he said that's a completely fine thing to say if you are critical of something that someone said that's wrong that's not you being a hater or trying to ruin their business that's just saying What you said to these people is wrong here's actually maybe more of the truth and then maybe have a conversation from there so yeah people are getting uh, offended a lot and getting triggered about stuff so it's uh it's it's a a funny time but uh yeah not everything that when you criticize someone is you being a hater
0: so uh let's say for example you have a a certain topic you have absolutely no clue about how do you go about finding someone who isn't only s- trying to sound scientific as you said but instead is actually scientific so he actually values evidence and mm. isn't isn't just cherry picking trying to prove a point yeah
1: sure so uh, i think in areas like that where we have no current expertise so if it's an area say that i might never looked for let, let's even take something outside like nutrition and i'm trying to look for okay what are evidence-based perspectives on this or who is an actual expert here as opposed to a man. i think that's kind of that the root of the, the question I think to some degree if I have zero expertise I'm gonna to have to take some things with a few assumptions for sure but what I can do is probably again approximate to someone who's likely to be a good source of information by looking for number one red flags of someone that's uh, has a, a pseudoscientific stance or some sort of kind of guru or con man or whatever the case may be by looking for some things that generally are uh, pretty poor indicators of this person is giving an evidence-based view on something. So for example, they might be very absolutist in what they're saying. So they have w- very one clear idea. Uh, this is the absolute thing. They don't talk about context behind it. They're very dogmatic about this standpoint and won't listen to alternative arguments to it. They may have uh, certain financial ties to it, to a certain idea. But again, that doesn't, necessarily prove that they have any ill feeling they could be perfectly evidence-based. So again it's just more some red flags that the more of these that they accumulate could be be an issue. And then on the side that you're probably looking for is who's able to articulate to me the ideas behind this. Point to evidence that seems to be the general consensus of the evidence now. So whether that's the overall reviews we've seen in an area or meta-analyses or generally what the scientific community in that specific area is generally concluding or if it's different to that why they hold that opinion and really i think it's about how they communicate that idea of how certain they are a lot of the time if they can do it with providing what they think they know based on these things but are willing to for that to change then that is quite different to saying i have all this stuff figured out i know everything about this so i think there's no one exact way that you'll ever really know but you can certainly look for some of the red flags that would, would show that this person is of an evidence-based perspective, and then try and look for the things that we know, particularly in our realm, are gonna be evidence-based. Can they point to valid literature? Can they point to some of the, the reasons and discussions around this area? Are they able to answer questions that are uh, that you might throw up that are maybe arguments against what they've said? Can they articulate why they don't believe those arguments? And so there there's some of the things uh, I just think uh, you can generally pick up on if someone's being objective in the way to discuss a topic. But you again, if you have zero expertise in the area, it might be difficult to always know, but that will get you some way uh, of the way down, I
0: think. Absolutely. Although then there's the other issue, for example, in our field when sometimes um, Two people we know are evidence-based, we know well evidence and science, and then they uh, collide or disagree on something. And us, the readers, are kind of left with trying to decide uh, who is right and who is mm. wrong. Although I think if uh, this is the case, the detail they're trying to discuss is really is just a tiny detail, so we shouldn't worry about it at all. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. And generally, particularly within fitness and nutrition for two people that are evidence based, a lot of the main fundamentals are going to be nailed down. But there's obviously some really interesting discussions you can have on some of the finer details. So I don't think it's a case of what one person says is going to be optimal and what the other person says is not going to work at all. They're probably going to both work really well for different reasons. And just some of the reasoning why that person uses a particular strategy is going to be slightly different, uh, so for example i was I was in Amsterdam for a conference back in well, June I think um, and during that, Mike Isretel and Menno Hansemans had a debate around uh, training volume uh, or training frequency, I should say um, and so again two guys that are basing their opinions on scientific literature are able to support uh, their claims by pointing to different pieces of research but maybe are interpreting those things differently, have different viewpoints on a certain thing and can have an articulate scientific discussion around those things and be able to point to why they believe a certain thing. Now they don't have to agree in every little detail so where that leaves us is again it's generally probably not going to be make or break for whether you make progress or not on which side you fall but again it comes down to yourself then of who you feel made the better points that felt supported their argument with the better evidence and then from there make your own conclusions so but but like you say generally in those cases it's going to be the last couple of percent of different things the the more minute details that people disagree on and i think in a lot of these discussions even if they disagree on something a lot of the things they actually agree on within that topic and it might just be how you actually implement that for example might be very different they might be even looking at the same research and just pulling different things from that or deciding on the quality of different research papers in a different way whether it's a good source of information or not so obviously it just comes down to who you felt made the better arguments and and who provided the better quality evidence and, that, and that's
0: it so while we're in the but we're talking about practice. Most of the things we addressed were kind of theoretical, or certainly they would have happened in the online sphere, so to speak. So, if you talk about a situation like we discussed in person, do you try to convince people at all, or it's a uh, situation dependent where you are, or how do you proceed?
1: Sure. So, it's totally situation dependent, and it's if it's someone is coming asking my opinion, versus if someone is just generally talking to me as a normal person of what they're doing. So if I meet someone and they hear them in nutrition, it might be the first time I've met them, for example, and they say, oh, I've just started looking after my health. I'm on this new diet. What so I started eat. I, yeah. Or they might even say, hey, I'm, I'm trying this uh, gluten-free diet thing at the moment. It's going really well. I'm making uh, great progress. I'm feeling good. I'm doing a lot of stuff. The first thing I'm going to say to them is, great, good for you. And that's it. That's all I'm going to Like, I'm not going to say to them, oh, well, did you know, despite all that progress you're making, here are some things that you might want to consider and start going into a big rant about gluten, right? It's, it's just, it's pointless. Like, it's not a place for me to put my opinion in. This person is doing something good. They found something, and it's just a, generally a context where, well, well done, right? If it's a case where someone is asking me my opinion on things, and that's quite different. If they ask me about something, I'll give them the best quality answer I can and if they want to take that further into a the discussion then great. But if I overhear someone saying something generally that's incorrect uh, and I'm at the gym I'm not going to walk over and start correcting them and hitting them with like titles of, of articles to look up. The only place I, w- I would see fit to do that in a kind of public form is maybe if someone is trying to educate a group of people and is giving something that's really incorrect And maybe I'm in the audience, I I don't mind putting up and giving an alternative view and seeing if they're willing to discuss that. That's fine, but I'm not going to, I don't be like trolling around the streets looking for what people are talking about and getting worked up about it. Because otherwise you just will grow crazy. And and most of the times it's not really warranted and it's not the situation and and you don't have the, the time to go into that stuff and most people probably aren't going to welcome that either so yeah it's situation dependent but if it's just something over here I'm not going to go up and start correcting people on things but but I think something like a a form like Uh, College, for sure, is a place where you can do that. I mean, that's a place where these discussions are supposed to be had. And you can... Supposed to be able to have scientific discourse back and forth, especially if you're within a a program that's looking at nutritional science. So I think definitely in those situations, I would have no problem bringing it up. Uh, I've done similar in the past. When I was doing my master's, I've emailed lecturers with things that were maybe contrary to something that we'd covered and, and showing them a different piece of research. And it's interesting, you can see a lot of people can actually be quite responsive to it. At least I've had quite um, some positive experiences doing that, of after the lesson, sending them an email saying, here's something you say, here's a kind of an alternative view that I've came across, here's some papers, what do you think, and having discussions that way. And I've had them particularly productive. But of course, that obviously depends on the person you're discussing. But for sure, like a form, like a a college or if you're at a seminar or something where it's generally people having discussions about nutritional science and we're supposed to be on the footing of we're all supposed to understand science then for sure it's, it's kind of free reign to talk about that stuff but the general person on the street or a member of my family I'm not going to start ranting about stuff unless I'm asked.
0: I guess I think the mistake I made is that I didn't email them after the class. <laughs> I did it right there and then.
1: Yeah I, that's it's just kind of human nature thing right of even if they were to have realized they may be incorrect with something a lot depends on how you phrase it as well so you might phrase it perfectly fine and i don't think you don't have to but i think a lot of the time that initial conversation if done in private and done with some sort of respect for how you communicate it across can be a lot of times much more fruitful than if if it's deemed as someone being called out publicly there there probably is a, and just a natural human reaction to just be defensive, especially if they're supposedly in a position of uh, being all-knowing and you're only a student and they're supposed to know all this stuff. Yeah. Um, it might make it more difficult. So, But for sure, if they're unwilling to even acknowledge stuff in a private form, then yeah, go for it.
0: So before I ask you the final question, maybe now is the time to let listeners know where they can find you, your website, your social media, all that kind of stuff.
1: Uh, sure. So basically everything is... Uh, findable on sigma nutrition.com. So if they just go there, they can pretty much find everything they need. If they're looking specifically for the podcast, then just search for Sigma Nutrition Radio in any podcast app that they use. And yeah, social media, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just search for Danny Lennon, they should probably find me uh, fairly easily there.
0: So with that, we have arrived to the final question of the episode, which is what is your definition of success?
1: I think success is basically just feeling maybe i don't know if the better word is content or fulfilled with what you generally do um but i i think that's what it is if you have a life where generally across the board you're feeling either pretty content or fulfilled with how life is that's a pretty successful place to be so it's not to chase like constant state of ecstasy or happiness like most of the time we're probably not like certainly i know myself like most of the time i'm just like in the middle but that's cool with me right that's that's a good place to be because a lot of people have constant stress and worry and upset a lot so if you can get to a place where you minimize that to the minimal amount that we as humans can probably get to we can never completely eradicate it but in general being able to uh Feel that you're being productive, I think, is important. Feel that you're doing some good in the world and feel that you have just good relationships with the people around you. Like, like that's pretty much it. Like, be productive, have good relationships, and then that generally will generate those feelings of fulfillment, which I think most people can deem themselves a success if, if they got to that point and they're doing those things.
0: And that's a great way to end the show. Thanks a lot for taking the time to join me today, Danny.
1: Thanks so much, man. Pleasure to be on.
0: And that was episode number one with Danny Lennon. I really hope you took something valuable out of the conversation. If you've liked it, you can help me out by sharing the podcast on your social media accounts. And if you do so, feel free to tag me so I can thank you personally. Also, make sure you check out Danny, his podcast and all of his content on SigmaNutrition.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, iTunes and any other platform you get your podcast from. Just search for the Muscle Engineer podcast. I'm at Sotak TME on Instagram, facebook.com forward slash Sotak TME on Facebook. You can also get in contact with me on my personal page, facebook.com forward slash Sotak András for questions, feedback, or just to say hi. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Until next time, take care.